before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the things I've noticed since coming to Wisdom, and really ever since I became a cleric, that being a deacon last year, is how profoundly different we all are. I mean, if you look at the church, there's all kind of different shapes and sizes in here, kind of different genders, all kind of different age groups. There's all kinds of different people, different occupations, different life experiences, different just about everything. I mean, honestly, I can't line any one of y'all alike, any, any two of y'all alike, and really see a whole bunch of similarities. But there is one similarity that I believe unites every single one of us. One similarity that I don't think any one of us would deny that we all have. One thing that every last one of us has in common. And that is, we all suffer. Every last one of us. And dare I say, that's why we're all here. We're all here because we were looking for meaning behind our suffering. We're looking for meaning to go forward through the suffering of this life, through the pains, through the sorrows, through the misery. And yet, one of the things that we're looking for is a purpose, a purpose to go through it all. Because without a purpose, suffering is intolerable. It's unbearable, and it's downright miserable. But with a purpose, especially with the right purpose, suffering can be downright beautiful. Think of it like this. Imagine your best friend, somebody you would die for. Now imagine that guy or girl in a burning building, and you have easy access. You can go right into that building and save him. Now you know, and you're warned ahead of time, that you're going to get some third-degree burns. You're going, to get, you're going to probably get some carbon monoxide poisoning. Things are going to look real bad for your health if you run inside that building. But you will save your friend. I don't think there's a single person in this church that would not run inside to rescue their dear and beloved friend. But what if you were just walking down the side of the, side of the street and all you did was see a burning building? Not a single one of you, I don't think, maybe one of y'all would, would want to run inside that building just because you like third-degree burns and carbon monoxide poisoning. I just don't see that happening. But if you do, if that's your thing, 
Call a psychologist. I can't help you. But my point being in showing that is reasons for suffering, reason and meaning gives us motivation to suffer, to endure the cross, to endure the pain, which is why we would do things like run through into burning buildings to save the people that we love. And a great example of, actually, believe it or not, the movie business picking up on this line is Rocky. Rocky Balboa. Rocky is all about this, like, you know, he starts off as, like, low, like, slum, like, Philadelphia guy, Italian stallion, you know, cheesy, totally, like, you know, low-life boxer. And he suddenly has his pride hurt. He suddenly, and he also has a, finds a woman that he loves. And he's given a way out. He's given a fight to fight, a, a reason to train. And because of that, he lines up with Nick, and he goes through all these ridiculous workouts, all these strange dietary habits like eating raw eggs, all these odd things, and he goes and he wins that fight, and it's a beautiful, actually the first one he loses, but it's still cool, but you know, and it's awesome. But the, my point being is that not only did that happen once in a movie, but they did it four more times and made money off of it. And then after they made Rocky V, Ten years later, whenever Sylvester Stallone was like 90, they made Rocky Balboa. And they still made money. It's amazing. Same plot line. Same everything. And, but what that shows us is that we long for a meaning to suffer. If all we saw was a guy that was just being, that was just being beaten by this, by this old man who's training him to, to win a boxing match and eating raw eggs, none of us would really be that entertained by the film. But the man had something to fight for. He had somebody to die for. He had a love to, go, to go, go for. He wanted glory and he wanted love and he went out and he took it. That's what made that story so amazing. And my dear friends, that's what we celebrate today. We celebrate a meaning for our suffering, the transfiguration. Because my dear friends, the feast of today, the feast where Peter, James, and John witnessed our Lord transfigure himself up on that high mountain, Mount Tabor. That, my friends, is the ultimate meaning of life, the ultimate reason to suffer, so that we can behold the face of God as children of God at the end of our lives. Because, my friend, let's be honest. Without the transfiguration, Jesus is kind of like a David Copperfield kind of character. A bit of a shapeshifter. You know, you could have always, looking at his lives and his miracles, there's always could be like a little bit of a doubt to just a bare eyewitness and maybe this guy is possibly a little bit faking it. Maybe he's just a really good illusionist. But then whenever you look at the transfiguration and the way it happened, the way he didn't do it to show off, but he only showed three of his closest friends. And he levitated in a time where levitation was really impossible. They didn't have cables or anything like we do now. And his, his clothes turned white and his face glowed. What that shows, and what that shows his dearly beloved friends, is that he really truly is God. My friends, that's what happened on that event on Mount Tabor. Jesus revealed that he really was God. My friends, this setting shows us, though, that Jesus really it was not transfiguring himself just to show us that he's God, just to show off, just to kind of flaunt his stuff. That's hardly the case at all. What he's really showing us, or rather encouraging us, is to continue on our journey to God. To continue on our journey to meet him, not for simply his glory, but believe it or not, for our glory. My friends, in the transfiguration, God the Father speaks. It's only one of three times that he speaks in the gospel. 
This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That, my friends, is exactly what he said about Jesus at his baptism. And believe it or not, that's exactly what our Heavenly Father said about us in our baptism. He looked upon us as his beloved sons and daughters, transformed as new creations in Christ. Now, I don't know about you guys, whenever I learned that baptism may be a new creation, I got to admit, I was a little bit skeptical. Why do I still have the pull of sin? Why do I, why do I struggle so much to live the Christian life? Why, and why am I so selfish? There can be a little bit of a doubt, and that's understandable. That's the suffering that we're talking about. That is, as G.K. Chesterton put it, that is the stain of original sin. And that is what makes us all equal. That binds us all together. That's the suffering that unites us. And yet, my dear friends, what Jesus is showing us here at Mount Tabor is that that suffering won't last forever. That at the end of our lives, whenever we get to eternity, God willing, that sin will be removed, that stain of sin will be removed, and we will glow like Jesus Christ did on that holy mountain. And yet, that setting on this mountain shows us how to get there. That just because you're baptized does not mean you're automatically in. If you're baptized and you live a sinless life, or if you do sin, you go to confession, then you're in. That's beautiful. But that bet, it can be symbolized by this mountain that Jesus transfigures himself on. And here's why. There's three mountains in the Gospel of Matthew. The first mountain is the Mount of Beatitudes. I've been there. It's, a, it's nice. It's, it's a mountain. You could kind of say it's a mountain. It's more like a hill. I've been to Golgotha. That's the, that's the third mountain. Golgotha really is kind of a hill. It's not too steep. But it is, it is elevated. That's where Jesus died on the cross. But Mount Tabor, guys, that is a high, high mountain. The view is beautiful. If you go there in the Holy Land and go to Mount Tabor, it's incredible. And the hike up there is very, it's, I don't want to say it's excruciating, but it ain't easy. A lot, of, a lot of people actually make a lot of money taxiing pilgrims up to Mount Tabor because that's how hard of a trek it is. And I think that greatly symbolizes our Christian journey. That if we want to get to the transfiguration, that if we want to glow and radiate with joy, we must climb that holy mountain. We must climb it high and high, climb it proudly. Now, how do we do this? And I promise you, this is my last thought. We do this by following Psalm 24, which says, Who shall climb the mountain of the Lord? The man with clean hands and pure heart. Now, I know the world today has us saying, like, clean hands and pure heart. That's boring. There's no fun in that. Purity is useless. What the world says is that if you want to have fun, you don't want to have clean hands and pure heart. You want to burn with fire. You want to burn with lust. You want to burn with anger. You want to be able to take care. You want to be able to serve yourself, to live on your own terms, to do it your way, and to be absolutely red hot with getting whatever you want. But the problem with that. And the problem that, the, that which the transfiguration exposes for us today, the problem with burning red hot, isn't that it burns too hot, but that it doesn't burn hot enough. My friends, purity has always been represented by the color white. But whenever we mention the color white, we're not talking about simply a white cloth, something that can be easily stained, something that can be easily tarnished. No, whenever we talk about the color white, 
we're actually not really so much mentioning a white cloth which can be easily damaged, but rather the white clothing that Jesus had right here on the transfiguration, where his clothing radiated with white. And so what we're really talking about whenever we mention white, what we're really talking about whenever we mention purity, isn't white at all. In fact, it's light. My friends, that's the challenge of the Christian life. That's the challenge of purity. That if we really want to serve the Lord, we must burn white hot with a desire for God, not simply red hot. Red hot does not burn hot enough. But the fire of purity, the fire of love, of going to God and desiring to be with Him for eternal life, now that's burning hot. That's burning as hot as the transfiguration. And that's the message of our gospel today. And so, my dear friends, as we go forth this week, may we remember that while Rocky may have fought a human enemy, we, on the other hand, fight a spiritual enemy. While he fought for human glory, we fight for eternal glory. And while he fought for a good temporal reputation, we fight for eternal salvation. God bless you.